one of the most enigmatic statements in the Haggadah is perhaps the teachings of Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Eliezer, and Rabbi Akiva on the amount of plagues that took place in Egypt. Rabbi Yossi says that in Egypt there were 10 plagues, and at the sea there were 50 plagues, a total of 60. Rabbi Eliezer says every plague in Mitzrayim was actually four, and therefore there was 40 plagues. And at the sea there was 200 plagues. Rabbi Akiva says, ah, that's nothing. In Mitzrayim, each plague was five. And therefore, in Mitzrayim, there were 50 plagues. At the sea, 250 plagues. What's happening over here? Why is the Haggadah and the Balagadah, the author of the Haggadah, using up so much space to tell us all of these details? To understand this on five levels, on pshat, remez, drush, soy, nechsudis. We begin with the level of pshat. On the simple level, we find a beautiful insight from the Vilna Goin, the Gra, who says that in the Torah we are taught, God promises the Jewish people that all of the plagues and all of the sicknesses, all the epidemics and the pandemics, that I bring upon Egypt, I will not bring upon you. If you will follow my Torah and heed to my mitzvot, then I will protect you from all of these plagues. And so, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Akiva, want to expound upon these plagues and add numbers to these plagues because the more plagues that fell upon the Egyptian people, the less plagues and sicknesses, and epidemics, and pandemics will fall upon Am Yisrael, the people of Israel. This is the interpretation of the Gura. There's a beautiful addition from Harab Yitzchok Mirsky. Harab Yitzchok Mirsky says, if you will actually add up all of the plagues that the Haggadah talks about, starting with the ten plagues, then the Tzach Hadash Bachav, three more. Rabbi Yossi Haglili is 60 plagues. Rabbi Eliezer is 240 plagues. Rabbi Akiva, a total of 300 plagues. The total of all of these plagues together are 613. 613 plagues. In other words, this implies that if a Jew will follow the 613 mitzvot and the laws of the Torah, then he is certain that God will protect him from these 613 plagues, these 613 maladies. This is pshat. What is the remez? What is the hint? The hint is that when we sit at the Seder, we are to be in a state of mind that God is going to take us out of this Egypt. God is going to take us out of this Golos. Just like God took us out of Egypt 3,333 years ago, so too God will take us out of this Golos now with the coming of Mashiach. And that is the Seder. Just like we sat and we had a Seder in Egypt the night before we left, so too we have to feel this mindfulness, this state of mind, this frame of mind, this meditation, 
that now is the last night of Golos, and we are going to be leaving our exile with the coming of Mashiach. If that is the case, just like the Jewish people witnessed 613 miracles at the time when they left Egypt, so too, we are told that we are going to see even greater wonders when we leave this exile. And therefore, if the Egyptians receive the 613 plagues, and we witness 613 miracles by being protected from those plagues, how much more miracles God will bring upon the Jewish people when he will take us out of Golos, and how much plagues he will bring upon the enemies that destroy synagogues and houses of worship and bring death and terrorism to the world. This is the nemes, this is the hint. What is Drush? What is the homiletics? There's a beautiful teaching from the cowboy in the name of the Baal HaMalamid. And he says that in truth, these three rabbis are talking about three different aspects of the plagues. In other words, how deep did the plague enter? Did the plague only enter the most external level of Egypt? Did the plague enter also into the four elements of creation, which is earth, water, air, and fire? Or did it even enter in the quintessential level of Egypt and all of the people of Egypt and the objects and animals of Egypt. And this is the machloikis, this is the argument between these three rabbis. According to Rabbi Yisraeli, there were ten plagues in Egypt, implying that the plague only entered into the most external part. According to Rabbi Eliezer, who says each plague had four levels, according to Rabbi Eliezer, the plagues entered into all four elements of these people, and animals. According to Rabbi Kiva, not only did it enter into the four elements, but every plague was on five levels, implying also the quintessential level. The reason behind this, as Hasidus explains, is because the question is, the impurity of Egypt, the defilement of Egypt, how much did it defile and how much did it enter into the nature and into the people of Egypt? According to Rabbi Yossi, it only entered into the most external level. And therefore, to be purified of this impurity, the plagues only needed to enter on the most external level. According to Rabbi Yezer, the impurity of Egypt, the defilement of Egypt was so deep that it actually pervaded all four levels, all four elements of creation. According to Rabbi Kiva, it was even more than that. Egypt penetrated and pervaded all five levels. Even the quintessential level became impure and defiled by the impurity of Egypt. And so to refine Egypt and to remove this impurity, this tumah from the land of Egypt... God needed to bring these plagues to enter even on the quintessential level. This answers a very interesting question that has bothered me for many years. Why is it that in the Torah we find that certain foods are prohibited, are asur, 
to eat. For example, pig, shellfish, etc., etc. Yet, on the other hand, one is allowed to benefit from it. In other words, you are allowed to wear a shoe from pigskin. You can have a belt or a pocketbook from pigskin. If the pig is asur, if it is prohibited to eat, why may we benefit from it? Why may we wear the leather from it? On the other hand, when it comes to chametz on Pesach, we say chametz is not allowed to be eaten on Passover. Not only may it not be eaten, you may not have any benefit from it. You can't even own it. You can't even see it. Why? What's the difference? Based on the above, we can understand that it depends how deep is the isur, how deep is the prohibition. When it comes to pig, the prohibition is only on the most external level, only when it comes to eating. But when it comes to benefiting from it, that is permissible because the tumah, the impurity, is only on the most external level. When it comes to chametz and Pesach, however, being that this impurity is so deep because chametz represents idolatry, chametz represents the Yetzirah, therefore we have to remove this, not only on the most external level, but we have to go down into the most deepest level, even the quintessential level, to remove any crumb of impurity from our psyche, from our life, and from our daily routine. This is Drush. What is the Soid? According to Kabbalah, the four elements of earth and water and air and fire allude to the four letters of God's holy name, the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He. We find that in many places, when we talk about the four Goliaths, when we talk about the four different exiles that the Jewish people have entered into and have left, and now we are in the final exile waiting for Mashiach to come, that these four exiles allude to the four letters of God's name. And in some places, Mitzrayim, Egypt, is included in these four exiles. In other places, Mitzrayim is not included in these four exiles. And therefore, the way we understand Egypt, the way we understand Mitzrayim, is that it's not one of these four letters, but rather it is the Kitzei Shayud. It is the point on top of the letter Yud, implying the quintessential level, the fifth level. In other words, according to both opinions, Mitzrayim, Egypt, is the source of all exiles. Mitzrayim is the source of all impurities. However, the question is, how deep did Mitzrayim affect the world? How deep did Egypt affect all the nations? Is it only on four levels? And therefore, Mitzrayim is the source of all these four levels. And Mitzrayim is the letter Yud, implying Chachma, intellect, which is the source of all ten Sfirot, which is the source of all four letters of God's name. However, Mitzrayim only affected the four elements. Or do we say that Mitzrayim is actually the Koytzei Shoyud, which represents Kese, the crown, and therefore Mitzrayim actually affected all five levels, including the quintessential level as well. What does Chassidus say? How do we understand this on our daily life? How do we internalize this concept of the four and the five 
in our daily routine, in our service to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to Almighty God. These four levels of the four letters of God's name, alluding to the four elements, represent Masa, action. Number two, Midos, emotions. Number three, Seichel, intellect. And number four, Mesiras Nefesh, self-sacrifice. Number one, the most important thing is the deed, the mitzvah. Are we doing the mitzvahs of the Torah? The 613 commandments. If we are, are we following these maisa? Are we following these mitzvahs? Then at least on the most basic element, we have conquered Egypt. However, it's not enough. We have to also impact all of these four elements. And that is the midos, the emotions. When we do a mitzvah, how do we feel about the mitzvah? How do we feel when we are fulfilling the mitzvah? Are we embarrassed of our neighbors? Are we saying to ourselves, I'm worried that the neighbor next door sees me making a blessing on the Shabbos candles? Or am I afraid that my neighbor is going to see my mezuzah and therefore instead of putting my mezuzah on the outside door, I will bring it into the inside door? So that is the second element that we have to conquer, the midos, the emotion. Then we move on to the seichel, intellect. Yes, we're doing the mitzvah correctly. We're not afraid of our neighbors. We're not intimidated by those who laugh at us. However, are we doing it only intellectually, based on the rules of the Torah? But we lack the excitement. We lack the enthusiasm. It's only cold intellect. And so we need to leave that Egypt. We need to conquer that constraint. And finally, we move on to the fourth level, to do it with self-sacrifice. Now, even self-sacrifice has its limitations. For example, we know when we say, Shema Yisrael, Hero Israel, God is our Lord, God is one. One needs to have in mind the concept of self-sacrifice. God is one. I am willing to die for God. However, sometimes a person will look on his watch and say, you know, I thought about this idea of sacrificing my life for God for two whole minutes. If it's self-sacrifice, it has to be unlimited. Two whole minutes is not self-sacrifice. So even when it comes to self-sacrifice, one could be limited in his self-sacrifice. And so the fourth level is to go out of your limitations, to go out of your limitations even in self-sacrifice. Then there's a fifth level, the quintessential level. And that is even to change your soul. What does that mean? Many of us are born with the soul of the Benini, the average person. Can we change the soul and become the soul of a tzaddik? Now this is the argument between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Eliezer means Keli Ezer Avi Ezri, which means my father, who is God, is my salvation, implying that you have a father. We have a father. We have a mother, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If that is the case, our soul, the quintessential level, is intact. What we have to be concerned about are the four levels. The action, the emotion, the intellect, self-sacrifice. Rabbi Akiva, who comes from converts. Rabbi Akiva says, not only should we be concerned about these four levels, but rather we have to be concerned even with the fifth level, the soul itself. 
that we can have a different soul. We can change our soul. We can change our nature. We can change who we are. And that is the meaning of chedus. That is the meaning of redemption. That is the meaning of going out of Egypt. So these are the five levels when it comes to this teaching of the Haggadah. When it comes to Passover, it's a mitzvah, the sapir, to speak and to tell stories. Let us conclude with the following story. The Bnei Yisachar, the great master of Dinav, when he was only 10 years old, his father was a malamid, his father was a teacher, and his father would leave the home for months at a time to teach in the home of an inn. Someone owned an inn. They had a few children. There was no cheder, no yeshiva around him. And so he sponsored and paid for the father of the Bnei Yisachar to teach his children. And so in the inn, he was teaching the children every single day. And one day a terrible, terrible snowstorm hit. And it was cold outside. It was a terrible blizzard. It was very difficult to travel. There was a knock on the door of the inn. Three peasants were there. They wanted to come in. The innkeeper said, do you have money? They said, no. If that's the case, you cannot come in. The malami, the teacher, was shocked. He turned to the innkeeper. How can you not let them in? It's a frost outside. They're going to die. The innkeeper said to him, are you going to pay for them? The malamid, the teacher, said, yes, I will. So he opened the door and allowed the three peasants into the inn. The snow continued for two weeks. And so these three people were in the inn, eating and drinking and sleeping for two whole weeks. They then left and thanked the malamid for sponsoring them. Pesach was around the corner. The Malamid told the innkeeper he had to go home for Passover and he wanted to settle with him how much the innkeeper owed him. He sat down, they made up a cheshbin, how much it was, and the innkeeper said, I owe you 40 kopecks for teaching my children over the last few months. And then he turned to the Malamid and said, and by the way, you owe me 43 kopecks for sponsoring and feeding these three people for two whole weeks. And therefore, you owe me three kopecks, but you don't have to pay me right away. When you come back after Passover, you can pay me. The Malamid, the teacher, left the hotel, the inn, very brokenhearted, coming home for Passover. He knows that Passover, you have to buy shemura matzah, and you have to buy meat, you have to buy fish, and you have to buy new clothing for all your children and your spouse. And he has no money after all these months. He came back to his town. He sat down. He went into the local synagogue. He took out a Gemara and began to learn. Word got around that the Malamid was back in town. And so they went to his son, the Bnei Yisachar, and said, your dad is home. And the little boy ran into the shul. A 10-year-old boy says, Tati, Tati, I'm so happy to see you. Aren't you coming home? His father, embarrassed, said, Sure, of course I'm coming home. And he held the hand of his son. Together they began to walk home. As they're walking home, a postman and two horses with a chariot ran through the town. 
and all the town people had to run to the side because this crazy postman was zooming through town and putting everyone's life in danger. As the postman turned the corner, a box fell out of the carriage. The father of the Meir saw the box, picked it up, started running after the coach. Sir, you lost something. You forgot something. Please take it. It was too late. The coachman was already gone. The Bnei Yishoshchar's father begins to look at the package. Who's the name? What's the address? No name, no address. The halacha is, the law is, if there are no simanim, if there are no signs of who it belongs to, you're allowed to keep it. And so the Malamid opened up the box. And there he finds in the box exactly 43 kopecks. He now comes home to his wife. He's happy to present her with the 43 kopecks. And she's able to pay off all the food and the loans for the last few months. My dear friends, we all know that at the Seder, it is customary to open the door for Eliyahu Hanavi Elijah the prophet. And so the Malami, the teacher, told his son, the Bnei Yisoshar, my dear child, I want to give you the honor to take the candle, to go to the door, and open the door, and welcome in Eliyahu Hanavi. And so the little boy was all excited, and he took his agoda, and he took his candle, and he went to the door, and he opened it up. And all of a sudden, he sees, standing at the door, the coachman. He turns to his father, Dad, Tati, Tati. The coachman is here. The coachman is here. The Malamid, the teacher, stood up from the table, ran to the door to see the coachman. But he was gone. Realizing that this coachman, this this coachman was truly Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, who came to repay him for his good deeds, who comes to the Seder of every Jewish home throughout the Passover Seder. And so, my dear friends, this year Pesach, when we open the door for Eliyahu Hanavi, we are sure that he is going to tell us the Basura Toiva, the good news, that Mashiach is on his way. Let us hope and pray that this year we will celebrate Pesach together. Yerushalayim Yerakodesh, L'shana Haba, Yerushalayim.